Won't be inviting him back showing us up. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Dear Deirdre, my heart is all over the place. I'm 53 and have been with my new love for a few months. At first it was great. We drank champagne and the sex was mind-blowing. It made me feel special again. My last lover and I split because they said we were going nowhere. But lately, despite some positives, there's been a few problems and my new love is beginning to feel distant. I feel like they're talking behind my back and at night I'm always alone. I can't cook, so I have to order my food over the phone. Is there something wrong with me? Yours, JM. Here to talk about all of that is Andre Gonzalez. Morning. Danny Isroff. Good morning. And fresh from the TV and into your ears, it's Deutsche Welle and talking footballs, Matt Herman. Hello there. Welcome aboard, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Um, before we get talking, gentlemen, of the pod, let me whisper some sweet nothings to our listeners. Could you please go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave us a comment to let us know what you think. Now, normally this is the part of the pod in which we would exchange ideas, philosophize, and generally talk a lot of El Shite until we get the real experts on the phone later on. But we're changing things up this week. We thought that with all that's going on with Manchester United from the leaks to the defeats, this is where we should start. And who better to get us talking than Nick Miller from The Guardian, who was at the game last night? First of all, Nick, uh, you were there last night at Old Trafford to witness it all. What did you What did you make of the latest Manchester derby? Well, it was a, it was a slightly strange game, really. The, um you know, Manchester United were very uh, obviously they played a slightly closer to full strength team than City did, but uh, in the first half they just looked incredibly disjointed. Um, the usual people this season who they, they weren't quite playing as they they could do. Um, Paul Pogba was a little bit anonymous. Uh, Ibrahimovic, I thought, was one of the that the first first half certainly one of the worst performances I've seen him make he was just he looked sort of frustrated and slightly disinterested by the whole thing but then again in the second half they uh, United improved very much uh, they sort of played like an away team really which was a bit which was slightly odd they sat quite deep and played on the counter attack uh, and City just had a lot of problems trying to break them down um, City again they, they look uh, a little sort of short of ideas. The weird thing about Guardiola's teams is you can usually watch them and have a definite idea of what they're trying to do. But last night it wasn't quite like that. They, that which may have been because they uh, made quite a few changes. They had quite a few younger players in the team, um, but it didn't. It didn't look like they had a kind of um, particularly clear plan. Um, so. I mean, it was a very close game. I think United probably deserved to win just about. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly wasn't emphatic as the, the uh, last... Uh, emphatic or as insane as the last uh, Manchester derby. Did, um, did Jose change anything at half-time? Or what do you think was the, the difference in the second half? Or what made the difference in the second half? Uh, he didn't seem to change anything uh, tactically. Uh, I think what made the difference was that uh, it's a one matter came into the game quite a bit more. Uh, Marcus Rashford, who looked a little bit quiet in the first half, had he had an excellent spell of about sort of 10, 15 minutes where he was um, uh, running at, running down the left and sort of uh, providing quite a lot of... Uh, the, the City had um, a, a young lad called 
Pablo Maffeo, who's quite good, but uh, Rashford gave him a bit of a tired time uh, in the second half. And they, they just looked uh, a lot more threatening, a lot more sort of dynamic. And then uh, kind of after they scored the goal, they sat quite deep and defended very well. After the, I was kind of looking at Jose after the match and you could see that he was trying to keep calm, but inside there must have been a huge sense of relief from him. That was a really big win, wasn't it? Yeah, and even though it was against a kind of city team that um you know that they didn't play their their best players and it was only in the the league cup which you know obviously is the the least important of all of all the trophies he needed that he needed kind of as much as anything to sort of try and convince people that he's not he hasn't completely lost it he's not completely a kind of shadow of a manager he used to be um, he uh, he didn't uh, he didn't show up for the the press match press conference. So apparently, he doesn't do that in the the league cup. Apparently, he didn't do that at uh, uh, Manchester City last season because he's not sort of obliged by the rules to show up. So he doesn't, which is which is fair enough, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he looked like a he looked like a relieved man. Um, so you you were there at the stadium last night. Um, Maybe we can talk about Pep in a second. But was there? There was no sign of um, Mkhitaryan. But there's been a lot of talk about him leaving. Did you? Did you hear anything last night that might be of interest? Everyone seems as baffled. Everyone at the ground seems as baffled by that as uh, as, as people outside were. It's. I mean, the 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 word is that he, Mourinho isn't happy with Mkhitaryan's fitness, which seems you know it seems slightly strange. Um, it is odd that he's only he's uh, Mourinho seems to have kind of discarded him so quickly after buying him and after watching him so kind of watching him so little he's only played a couple of games um, he apparently wasn't happy about uh, you probably remember in the first uh, Manchester derby this season um, he was sort of indirectly to blame for uh, City's first goal when he didn't close down Alexander Kolarov. Um, and you know you could see why someone being annoyed by that, but if Mourinho was annoyed by people not you know, his sort of forwards not closing uh, the opposition defence down, then uh, Ibrahimovic is very lucky to get a game at the moment. Um, so yeah, everyone seems uh, seems quite baffled as to why uh, Mkhitaryan's been discarded. Whether he'll leave in January, I, I'm sceptical about that, but. Um, he's, uh, he's certainly not getting uh, getting much of a chance at the moment, which I mean, and, and you could sort of understand that if United were playing really, really well. But how you know how bad does someone have to be in training to not be able to get into this team at the moment? Uh, on, on the flip side, you were talking to to Pep afterwards. Did he did he have any regrets about the team he sent out, or was was he happy enough? No, not at all. He seemed fairly sanguine after the game. Um, as I said, I mean, obviously this is the fourth most important competition for uh, for most managers. So y- you would have thought he won't exactly be crying himself to sleep about losing last night. It sort of frees them up a little bit for more important things. He seemed fairly, relatively pleased with how City played. Um, he, he didn't even seem that kind of perturbed by this idea that he's he, this is he hasn't now won in six games. It's the first time in his managerial career, managerial career, he's gone uh, that long um, without winning a game. But he just when that was put to him, he just kind of you know shrugged and said, "Well, you know that happens." Um, and 
yeah, he, he was also asked. So, you know, after this run, and after this game, are you going to change everything? And he very quickly said, no, nothing. So, you know, he's a stubborn man. Uh, and uh, something as piffling as a run of six, win- six games without a win isn't going to change his mind, I think. Nick, just moving back to Mourinho for a second, there's been a lot of talk about how this United team have struggled to find an identity. And when Mourinho has been successful throughout his career, it's been, you know, primarily a def- de- defensive, defensive approach uh, on the counter-attack. Uh, obviously, at Man United, you're expected to have a little bit of a, a, a different style. And when you combine that with the fact that he hasn't necessarily got the players to, to implement his, his, uh, his defensive approach, uh, do you think this sort of clash between Mourinho's style and, and the Man United philosophy is contributing to the problems that they're having? Yes, possibly. I mean, the other thing is, it's quite easy to forget that he's, he, you know, he's coming into a huge club having not been there before, and he's still quite early on uh, in his tenure. He looks like uh, a manager at the moment who is struggling to find his best team. Really, he's struggling to find the best way to play. Um, and you can remember that his first season back at Chelsea, he. Um, they weren't particularly brilliant. He, he had to, you know, it took a while for him to kind of figure out the best sort of style of play for that set of players there. So, yes, they, they, they don't look great at the moment. They don't look like the kind of, you know, free-flowing attacking side that maybe some Manchester United fans are used to or demanding or perhaps not, not used to after the past couple of years. Maybe. Um, but I think that will come in time. If he's given that time, of course. I feel like, like uh, most of the time, if you look at Mourinho's career, um, the moments that their teams performed better, um, they used to play with the midfield, like an overpopulated midfield, sometimes with uh, four center midfielders. And he's not trying that on Man United. And I feel that the team lacks some consistency in the middle. Perhaps yesterday... When we saw um, Carrick and Herrera, we saw more stability. Do you think he's going to try from now on playing with Carrick, Herrera and Pogba? Yeah, perfectly, possibly. I mean, it, that, the, the other thing is that that system or that, that or rather those three midfielders would seem to get the best out of Pogba as well. If you speak to people who saw him at his best in Italy, he does play... Uh, at his best in in a midfield three. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the midfield because it, it, we saw uh, for the for, you know for the first time in a while last night Morgan Schneiderlin, who uh, seems to have been another one um, sort of slightly discarded by Mourinho. But yeah, he, he came on. He was kind of quite tenacious and sort of shored up the midfield a bit. Um, Carrick, uh, I think, has uh, has become one of those players that gets an awful lot better in his um, in his absence. When you know, if United weren't playing very well, people will say uh, United weren't playing very well with Carrick out of the team. People will say, well, of course, what they need is a calming influence in midfield and Carrick to uh, to come in. But he does tend to slow the play down quite a lot. Um, you know, he, he will never take one touch where two will do and uh, he he played he played quite well last night but um I, i'm not sure that Carrick is necessarily the um sort of answer to all their problems
Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. That was Nick Miller from The Guardian. I thought that was an interesting point about Carrick, Herrera and Pogba. I thought they did get the best out of Pogba last night. I was For once, I was actually impressed by how yeah, they did. Particularly in the second half. Yeah. Uh, there was a moment when they're uh, playing really deep. I saw some stability on that midfield and it's kind of uh, news when it comes to this season. Um, Carrick is, uh, is is slow. Is It's a fact. But... Uh, it is the the kind of guy who knows where to be in the right moment. And he's, it, he's an intelligent player. Yeah, and he did that uh, pretty well yesterday. Yeah, I think the balance is the key there because um, Herrera, as good as he's been, he's not a natural number six. Uh, he doesn't offer the kind of protection that yeah. that that Mourinho wants. So having a player to just anchor the midfield there, I think, gives both Herrera and Pogba uh, more license to 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 create things. This Mkhitaryan stuff is odd, isn't it? It's bizarre. It's Completely really weird. bizarre. Yeah, I I don't know how to explain it. If if some of you have a, a kind of a idea, I mean, have... he did mention that uh, moment in the first Manchester derby, the one in the league, where you know, basically, Henrik Mkhitaryan failed to you know fulfill his duties to close down you know Kolarov, and and then that long ball led to another long. I mean, that's it seems really much too sort of yeah, but, piffling but for that to be. It's not the first time but, that Mourinho uh, points the finger to a particular play in the match. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, he did it to Mata at, at Chelsea. Yeah. And, and you know, now he seems to, you know, love him again, but... <laughs> I have a cynical theory about that, uh, about Henrik Mkhitaryan. Tell me. There were sort of rumours that he wasn't really wanted by Mourinho. So it was a uh, pack right, with, the- with Raiola to get Pogba and Ibrahimovic. Now, let's just stress that they are just rumours. Now, if he didn't want this player, the best way to get him out of the squad would be to, say, show him up when he's not particularly fit. So you would throw him into a game, a hard game, say, like a, oh, I don't know, a Manchester derby. Play him. He doesn't look very good. You've got an excuse not to play him. Is that too cynical? I, I just find it really difficult to believe. I mean, Mourinho yeah. has been around a long time. He knows that... that, that Coming into a new club, it, you know, it's going to be difficult. And w- when you bring in a player who you don't want, and then especially a really good, you know, the best player in the Bundesliga last season, uh, and, and then create all this sort of friction. Yeah, uh, yeah what's not that's to not, want it, about it, Hendrik Mkhitaryan? It, it, it's not a wise way to go about things. So I just can't see Mourinho having done that. But yeah, Mkhitaryan's a terrific player. I just don't understand it. Um, last week we were talking about Pep Guardiola and said there was no time for him to panic. Is now a good time to panic? So I think Nick brought up a, a good point when I actually I tried to egg him on a bit about Mourinho. The 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 <laughs> truth is, the, the truth is we shouldn't be judging managers, uh, you know, making sort of big global judgments about managers in you know two or three months into yeah. into the job, in, in a okay. especially ones in a new league with a new uh, rebuilding project. I mean, if you look at. You're never um, going to make it as a tabloid journalist with this sort of well, that, that, thinking. That's the thing. But yeah. but if you look, even I mean, just recent history in the Premier League, uh, Pochettino when he came in really actually didn't do that great at Tottenham in 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 his first little while there. Uh, Klopp last season took Liverpool from tenth to eighth. He he did actually worse than Brendan Rodgers on <laughs> on a points basis, and 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 they're both excelling now because they've been given time to develop their project to to bring players in to get everyone on board. Uh, to to find a strategy that works, and uh, and I think that's what we have to do with 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 Mourinho, 
uh, with with Conte and certainly with Guardiola as well. I also have a very nice exhibit here for uh, the defense. It is a, a Premier League table, and uh, there is a one next to the first team, and that first team happens to be Manchester City. They are <laughs> leading the goddamn league. Get off the man's back. Okay. I mean, the fact that we, you know, y'all had a discussion last week about him being a fraud. Come on now. Well, that was no, that that was a question that was put to us by a listener. <laughs> I like that abdication of responsibility. I have another question for us from a listener later on. This is this is really growing into a section of the podcast. Um, before we get to that, um, Andre, you saw Chelsea West Ham last night. Yeah, and it was a very entertaining match. I thought it was a throwback to the 80s. You know, football, so. football violence. Oh, football violence, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit sad to see. Hey, a lot of mistakes uh, during the match. That's that's why it was so entertaining. Okay. Both defenses uh, playing with uh, three men in the back, which mm-hmm. is something you don't see every, every day. No. Um, and it worked particularly well for West Ham. Um, and it, it's really weird. I, I It's the first time I see Bilic... Uh, playing in, with a three man in the back, and um, it was really interesting to see how the team performed so well. Because sometimes, if you want to change uh, tactics in a week, if you're going to do it in a week, the first match is terrible, and it, it didn't happen with the with West Ham. So I think we might have something to build. Uh, up in the future with West Ham playing with three men uh, in the back. Um, Although there was um, some mistakes, there were a lot of mistakes for both teams. And uh, to be honest, judging by the the chances that West Ham created, uh, the the score, the final score was really good for Chelsea. Uh, Begovic did an amazing performance. It was... uh, the kind of uh, goalkeeper you you won't expect when it comes to is a second option. He's a very good second. He's option. a very good, but he's he's not playing very often. So no. he, he perhaps you think oh it's kind of rusty, but it's not it's not it's not rusty at all. He was it was a brilliant old, old match. Um, the other thing I would like to bring up is the John Terry uh, really 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 uh, struggles to adapt to a three man. Uh, system yeah and yesterday particularly he looked really 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 slow um in yeah. the it was the the middle man in uh in the center in mm-hmm. the playing in the center of the three man and he was uh he had a terrible match to be honest well he was terrible in that sort of formation under vs boas yeah when vs boas played Vila, a higher Vila, line boas tried that yeah. and it didn't work uh mainly because john terry didn't uh understand the system and now I think he's gonna he's gonna have a lot of troubles to adapt to Conte's uh, tactics. To be honest, okay. Um, and we had a lot of violence in the stadium again. Um, this is so I can't get my head around why this is happening. I have Just no genuinely idea. Genuinely can't understand it. I think the some I mean a lot of West Ham fans are are frustrated with the club and a bit with the move actually. Why uh, take it out uh, on the stadium? Uh, and though? yeah, but. Why, why taking on the, the I, op- I don't the think anyone's ever ever fans. accused the football fans of being rational. No. <laughs> I mean, I think it also has to just do with the fact that the security procedures at this new stadium are not that well developed. I mean, True. they had years at the Berlin ground to, you know, 
basically head off all of these knuckleheads. And now the people who really want to create problems, and there always are some, especially at West Ham matches, and that's no you know shade on them. It's just the fact that they have a lot of freaky fans. Um, they have basically found the weak spots faster than the security can close them. Yeah, and uh, uh, there's, a, I think it's a, a mile walk between the, the subway station yeah, and the stadium. Mm-hmm. And uh, police said that they are really struggling to contain all the yeah. the West Ham fans. I've made that walk. It's a beautiful walk. It's a beautiful walk. It's a nice little walk. You go through the Queen Elizabeth Park. It was just around the just around the corner from my old house when I used to live in London. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume it's not that beautiful if you're walking with some West Ham Mulligans not right no, next to you. Not, maybe not as beautiful. But if, no. even if you look at the the stadium and the the, the two sectors, like the the, the opponents' check sector and the the home sector, the break between two sectors. It's, it's got to be bigger than it is at the moment. That's what I was thinking when I it's saw the, the pictures. Like How a, did they get to, so close? Yeah, it's yeah. really close. You have to make a, like a, a big break fire between those two. As they do in, say, Italian stadiums. Oh, up, up, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like you see that on Southern Euro- European leagues. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a big sector with no one there. It's like a no man's land. Otherwise, yeah. you're, you're going to have a lot of problems. And uh, they, did, they need to uh, increment that on, on the new uh, on the London Stadium. Otherwise... It's going to be a problem. I can see this happening in every Western match at home from now on. Okay. Well, we got a question from our listener, as I said. It's from Kevin Fingleton, who wants to know the pod's opinion on Ozil. He thinks he's great, but so many seem to view him as a sort of gilded lily. I, 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 think, <laughs> I think I can explain this. I've had this debate a few times. Okay. Uh, people who, uh, and for just to be clear, I'm in the pro Urzo camp. P- people who uh, criticize him, I think, don't understand uh, the the kind of player that he is and the role that he has in the team. They see him not really defending. They see him drifting in and out of games. For me, the thing about uh, a playmaker like Urzo is if he creates his two or three moments of magic in a game to create a clear cut chance for himself or someone else, he's done his job. Rest of the game, that's it. He's he's helped his team to put them in a position where they can where they can score goals. And that's his role in the team. So I think it, it's it's a little. He, he's a complicated player and and a rare player in mm-hmm. in the modern game. In that mm-hmm. he, you know he's not going to necessarily help in lots of facets of the game. He's not multidimensional, but if he does those those you know you, and everyone sees them, he does it you know once a game. Uh, if he does those little moments, then then he's done his job. Matt, are you in Team Ozil? Oh, I'm very much in Team Ozil, and I, I find that the entire conversation about Ozil being anything other than a spectacular player is something that, you know, a certain type of premiership fan, you know, one who's just sort of addicted to the the rush and the effort and can't really appreciate (laughs) uh, other sides of the game has brought up. I think it's a a joke. Yeah. I wouldn't be friends with somebody who doesn't like Ozil. I think think that's a good litmus test. I really do. It's a good way to test how much you like a person. Yeah, Um, I'm totally with, uh, with Danny and Matt on this one. Okay. Right, uh, so midweek also saw the DFB Pokal, but before we get on to that, there's one thing I need. we need to talk about. How on earth did Jerome Boateng not make it onto the Ballon d'Or list? Yeah, there were quite a few omissions, I, I think. Uh, Jerome Boateng? Yeah, no, I... I, I com- Honestly, com- the best centre-back in the world right com- now. Com- completely with you. I think, uh, uh, I don't know, I feel like they've tried to be a little, um, you know, they've tried to get players from different clubs and... I don't really know how it works with the new 
the new system having broken from the the FIFA thing. Yeah, it was extremely you know attack and midfield heavy. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there was only one center back on the list. Pep. Pepe, yeah. 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 Which, you know, that is obviously sort of a weak spot in the system by which they choose. Um, mm-hmm. and, and even among, you know, midfielders and forwards, there seem to be others that stuck out that, you know, they're very nice. I mean, Jamie Vardy's a nice player. Uh, Pablo uh, uh, Dubala or uh, Arturo Vidal. These are, these are nice players, but they are not even close to being in the conversation to being the best player in the world, much less the best player at their own position in the world. It's just, why mm-hmm. would you make room for players like that? It was nice to see Hugo Lloris on it. Yeah, but is he, again, uh, De Gea is a better goalkeeper, I think everyone would agree, right? Yeah, but I, I, I hate the Ballon d'Or. I hate, I hate these awards. I think they're all... They are shit, honestly. I'm with you on this. Why have an individual award in a collective in, in, sport? In a collective sport, it's, you know, you it know why? Stupid, because yeah. we're talking about it. Because everyone because we're talks d- yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's and true. people debated, and and so I can see, I can see the value in that. Okay, uh, with that out of the way, let's talk Pokal and let's talk about Bayer Leverkusen. Matt, what happened to them on Tuesday night? Oh, Bayer Leverkusen, um, <clears throat> who of course had had a bad loss in the league coming into this. They had lost three 0 at home to. Hoffenheim, their coach Roger Schmidt had gotten himself sent off for getting into a bit of a televised uh, slanging match with uh, <laughs> Julian Nagelsmann, his opposite number, who we all, which we all enjoyed. Let's be honest. Yeah, we did. We yeah. did. You know, like me, some Ash is always a nice <laughs> sentence to learn when you're learning German. It comes in handy. What does it mean exactly? Uh, basically, kiss my ass. Yeah. It's more like my ass, so, which yeah, is you know a bit like more it. evocative, a bit more German, but more earthy. <laughs> um, but, you know, so they really needed a reaction and they needed a reaction um, without their coach on the sideline. And they had, the, the, the stage was set for a really winnable match. They were away to Sportfreunde Lotte. Uh, this is a, a team who had beaten Werder Bremen in the previous round of the cup. And, you know, when they beat Werder Bremen, it basically caused football fans all over Germany to go to Google and find out where is Lotte? <laughs> Who are Sportfreunde Lotte? Uh, where is it, by the way? It, it is, uh, it's between Münster and Osnabrück in, okay. uh, you know, North Rhine-Westphalia. It's a tiny town. It's like 15,000 people, not quite. Um, they have a fairly large football ground, almost, or a little over 10,000, in fact. It can almost fit. The whole town. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and I, I suppose there must be some folks from from neighboring villages who get fired up for uh, Lotto. Anyway, cutting to the chase. Uh, Sportfreunde Lotto turned out to be a much, much tougher opponent for Leverkusen than uh, most folks thought. Uh, Leverkusen took the lead and Lotto came back and equalized. Leverkusen took the lead again after Lotto had been reduced to 10 men with about 20 minutes left in the game. And everyone thought, okay, it's in extra time. Leverkusen now have the lead. They're going to shut the door. But that also didn't happen. And 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 the equalizer in extra time to make it 2-2 was a series of ridiculous missed defensive assignments that led to a player, you know, receiving a cross, collecting it. You know, he didn't even one-time it. He got to trap it and shoot basically undefended from the penalty spot in open play. And... It was just a complete capitulation from uh, Leverkusen. In the penalty shootout, it went to, I think, 12 shots. It was kind of a a real shambles. I think there was five misses. And 
you know, Leverkusen are just in a terrible state right now. They are in 11th place in the league, which is nowhere near where they want to be. This is a basically a club that sees itself as a Champions League club and is in the Champions League this year. They have a manager who can't seem to keep his cool. He got suspended for three games last year for a somewhat similar incident where he got into an argument with the referee. And now they're out of the cup. So I think uh, this is probably a, the, the hottest news in German football right now, that, that Leverkusen is just, you know, completely out of sync. Do you think that uh, Schmidt's era is over? No, I don't actually. I mean, I, I do think that... Oh, really? No. Because there's lots of rumors about it. There are There is a lot of rumors about it. I would say that in the short term, he's probably okay. Um, but I would think that if they are in this position in, say, 11th place-ish... At the winter break, he may well be uh, seeing the door. I mean, there have been rumors, of course, just as there's been rumors about the last four managerial uh, vacancies in the Bundesliga about uh, Andre Villas-Boas, because he's sort of the, the, the high, most high-profile name out there who Instagrams about his uh, German classes. Um, but I don't think that uh, Leverkusen is ready to part ways with Roger Schmidt, because Roger Schmidt, as... Their sporting director, Rudy Fuller, uh, mentioned in many a post-match interview, uh, both after the, the loss in the Cup and in, in the league. You know, he took him up to fourth two years ago, took him to third last year. He has built up a lot of credit. This is a guy whose tactics are very innovative, his sort of always forward. Don't doesn't matter if we lose the ball. Sometimes we'll just get it right back. It's a risky game. And it's the kind of game that, you know, when you don't score, they're not scoring very much right now. You know, Chicharito hasn't scored in a couple of games in the league. Joel Pojanpalo, this uh, Finnish kid who, who, you know, started off like a house on fire, uh, has been hurt. And no one else is picking up the slack. Uh, I mean, Kevin Fulland, who got himself sent off in the league uh, on the weekend, uh, scored two in the cup in that losing effort. But um, nobody else is scoring for Leverkusen. And, and the kind of game that they play, which is to say extremely risky and giving the ball away a lot and in a lot of cases putting yourself in the kind of positions defensively where if you make one mistake you're going to be punished for it and they have been punished this season um it's a really tough uh you know tightrope to walk and at the moment they, they they're hitting the net underneath the rope of the last eight red cards shown to managers in the bundesliga schmidt has got three of them <laughs> Basically, the Pepe of, uh, of managers. <laughs> yeah. um, anything else that sort of caught your eye in the Pokal during the week? Well, yeah, um, Hanover. Hanover had a good win. They did have a good win. I mean, that was. I mean, I, I have not seen a lot of uh, the second division this season. And I know that Hanover has had a bit of an up and down time, but um, yeah, it was it was really what was it four nil after sixteen minutes? Yeah, and it's insane. <laughs> we had a poor. We have a. A uh, guy in the newsroom who's a Fortuna Dusseldorf. Fan. Oh, yeah. I have a friend too who actually went to the match. <laughs> okay, we were we were watching with him. It was highly amusing. Highly, highly amusing. <laughs> seeing other person, uh, seeing another person suffer is always always amusing in in that sense. Um, Dortmund. Yeah, Dortmund. That was a freaky odd uh, game. Freaky result. I mean, you know, they found it pretty difficult. It seemed to me to sort of you know, exert their will over Union Berlin. I mean, Union Berlin is a very good second division side at the moment. They're they're very much an in-form side. It's pretty unclear to me whether they have, you know, the consistency to, to keep that up and go up. And, you know, Union fans will, will even tell you maybe, maybe it's not good for us to go up because we're not quite ready. But leaving that aside, I mean, Dortmund 
just as they have um, in the last few league games. I mean, they had to play a bunch of kids. And in some cases, they had to play guys like Nuri Shaheen, who had hardly played this season because he's just not anywhere near first choice. Uh, and he was okay, but... You know, they were – I'm not going to say that they were lucky to get into a shootout because they were the better side on the night. But <laughs> just the, 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 the sort of feeling that those Onion fans brought to the game was pretty amazing. They, they made sure to, to dress in a uniform red color. They wanted to create a, a rote wand to, to compete with the gelbe wand, oh, nice. and they really, really did it. I mean, it was about 10,000 fans that they brought to the game. Wow. Yeah, serious. I mean, really impressive. And that's that's what a, a stadium as large as the Westfalenstadion can do for you is yeah. you know they can let ten thousand away fans in and still feel like a, <laughs> for a, still dominate for a second division side on a Wednesday night for a cup game. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's that's yeah. incredible uh, across the country, across, across country, the country yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the equalizer for for Union was oh, it was good. Was well worth looking into. Goal. What a goal! It's just one of those ones where <laughs> the is ball it, is sort of trickling out from a corner clearance, not a very good clearance. And you're like, wouldn't it be nice if someone just came up and thwacked the hell yeah. out of that? <laughs> it's a once, once in a live shot, yeah. I would say. Yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't blame Weidenfeller? I thought he might have thought no, he hit it so clean. No. Yeah, no, really, no, okay. really clean. I wanted to blame somebody. But <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, you don't let me. That's your way. There's uh, also uh, a couple interesting things about, about the, the Pokal yesterday. Oh, yeah. That uh, Freiburg... Are out of the of the cup. Um, they lost to Sandhausen, and uh, Darmstadt lost again. Uh, they they were knocked out by uh, Waldorf, a fourth division side, for regional, regional Liga. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I've never, to me, uh, Waldorf Astoria. Well, Waldorf Astoria is a hotel in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> well, it it is named after the same uh, same family. The, okay, that the person that, that would explain it. Is it is. The Astor family. Waldorf is the, the town. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And the Astor family is the... The Astor family comes from Waldorf. Uh, ah. They left for the U.S. back in the 18th century, but continued to keep up a relationship with the town of Waldorf. And the Astor family actually gave money uh, to the club wow. and to the town. And they, they sort of, uh, when there was a combination of more than one club, they made sure to keep this name Astoria. Look at that. That's what we get when we have Matt on the podcast, a history yeah. lesson, well, German-American we'll history be, lesson. We'll be inviting him back, showing <laughs> us up. <laughs> uh, looking ahead to the weekend, the big game is, of course, the rival derby between Dortmund and Schalke. As much as Sky and other broadcasters try to hype it up against uh, the game against Bayern, this is much bigger for Dortmund, Matt, isn't it? Oh, way bigger. I mean, uh, Der Klassiker has uh, is, is been sort of a, the branded... Name for I hate that Bayern v Dortmund. Yeah, it's no good. It's no good. Um, you know, anytime Bayern have a rival, it seems to be only temporary. So there's sort of a sell-by date on all of those hypes, uh, whether it's, you know, Bremen in years past or Dortmund more recently, Gladbach further back. But whereas this is, this is the eternal derby in Germany. I mean, this is the one that pits really probably the two best sets of fans in Germany to get, I mean, against each other. And they're ones that basically share a huge amount of commonalities. I mean, you know, these are towns that were built on steel and mining and, you know, serious, serious football worship. So anytime the two, the two get together, it, it sort of takes on a life of its own. I mean, obviously, it's a weird constellation this time in that Schalke had such a bad start. Um, 
and and Dortmund got off to to a much better start, but now they've have begun to change places. I mean, Schalke have won two of their last three. They've you know picked up seven points out of nine in the last three league matches. Dortmund, not so much. Um, I I actually think that this has got a really nice setup at the moment. I mean, it, it might be a little nicer if uh, Schalke had been the home side, giving them that extra little edge, but uh, you can't have it all. Dortmund have forgotten how to defend. It's incredible. I was watching their game last week against um, Ingolstadt, mm-hmm. um, and their defending from set pieces was just non-existent. They were caught out twice from almost the exact same position. I'm wondering what Thomas Tuchel is doing on, the, almost, on the training ground. I think them. almost 70% of the, the goals they conceded, uh, they came from set pieces. This is something you can work out on the training ground. You should, at yeah. least. But I think part two things, What one part of it's an experience thing. I mean, set piece defending is the the type of thing where you just get better as you've done it more and for more years and second it's actually quite it's a short team I mean they're not big in the box is the other thing mm, yeah yeah maybe I never really thought about it that way yeah it's true I mean I, I would say I mean Julian Weigel comes to mind as a as a quite a tall player he's a tall, yeah. but he's not strong you wouldn't no. say necessarily no, he's no, going to be a, a monster not. in the box yeah. no no There's, they don't have that sort of you know beast no quality. Did you want to give a prediction for it? Um, I actually, well, hmm. I, I'll actually go for a draw. I think that a score draw would would make the most sense in in terms of you know uh, Dortmund's weakness at the back. Uh, but I don't quite trust Schalke enough to get a win uh, in Dortmund. Okay, there was one question. We're going to talk a bit of MLS now in a second, but. This one might be a nice little bridge. One of the players that's been making waves in Dortmund is, of course, Christian Pulisic. Has this registered in America at all? Has it registered? <laughs> About <laughs> this much? About this much? It's, uh, no, you would think he was the, the, the second coming. Really? Um, that it, big? Yeah, it's been... I Wait, mean, you, you don't think he is? <laughs> uh, well, he, he might be. Let's, let's, let's find out. But no, I mean, uh, the, the, it's, the, the truth is that, in my opinion, America has never had, I think in lots of people's opinion, a, a genuinely world-class outfield player for sure yep yep uh and, and and so every time a kid comes comes around and is is playing at a a big club which doesn't happen that often but Pulisic looks like the real deal uh, I think every time you watch him he seems to get better and better and and there's a tremendous tremendous amount of excitement yeah and I, I think that the the excitement in the United States would do well in some ways to um reflect the excitement that exists around Dortmund. I mean, because he already has become a pretty beloved player at the club, in part because he's not only fun and young, but he's effective. I mean, Dortmund have picked up a lot of young players, in in particular, you know, Usman Dembele and Emery Moore, two players who are a lot flashier, who probably have a, a bit more sort of ball skill, dribbling skill, but neither one of them have have figured out how to turn that into goals, either, you know, assists or goals in the way that Pulisic has. Pulisic produces. Yeah. He changed the game last week. Came on, sort of accidentally set up one goal and then then scored the other. What I like about him for somebody who's, what, 18, 19, is how calm he stays and the decisions he makes while on the ball. For somebody so young, that's incredible. Really, really incredible. Anyway, while the Premier League and the Bundesliga are... Just getting started. It's all drawing to a close in the MLS and the playoff seasons are getting underway. Danny, here's your chance to shine. Uh, you, you you want to talk about MLS so much and we're, we're giving you the chance. So maybe start off by telling the listeners just exactly how the playoff system works. 
Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, if you don't follow MLS, it's a kind of notoriously complex and rule-heavy uh, uh, league. So basically, there are 20 teams at the moment. Uh, this year, 10 in each each conference, the East and the West. And of those 10 in each conference, six teams make the playoffs. My opinion, it's a little too much. But uh, anyway, six so teams... It's, it's harder It's harder to miss out on, on the playoffs than it is to, to make them. Um, which kind of defeats the purpose of playoffs. <laughs> Anyways, uh, how, how they get around this is they have a, a knockout round. So the, the top two teams in each, the top two seeds in each uh, conference get sort of a first round bye. Uh, who, straight into the conference. Who was that for the East and West then? So in the East, that was New York Red Bulls and New York City FC. And in the West, that was FC Dallas and Colorado Rapids okay. this season. And then the, the remaining bottom four teams uh, play a sort of a one-off um, third versus six. No, yeah, third versus six, fourth versus fifth. Um, and the, the winners of those uh, progress to the, the Just conference. one match. Mm -hmm. Just one. Which is really weird. Which is really weird. Yeah. And then, so then the next two rounds are, are two legs. Yeah. And then the final is back to one match. So are, those, very, are those one matches played in a neutral venue? No. No, they're played at the home of the higher seed. Yeah. Um, and so that, that God, began. That's complicated. That, it's very complicated. The whole thing is MLS is like, a, it's like playing chess sometimes. And they change it every two or three years. Well, because well. They're, they're adding teams every year. So it yeah. gets more and more difficult. Anyways, that began last night. One game in each conference. Right. Um, wins for LA Galaxy. Wins for LA Galaxy and Toronto, so the the, the home teams, the higher seeds. Uh, and then we have uh, two more. The, the other two are tonight. Who's tonight? Tonight we have a Rail Salt Lake are playing Sporting Kansas City. No, no Seattle, Seattle are playing Seattle. Sp Sporting Kansas City. And DC United are playing uh, Montreal, Montreal in, the, yeah. in the East, yeah. Real Salt Lake. <laughs> well, there's some brilliant, there's it. some brilliant names in MLS. That that has to be said. That that is maybe my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of, we'll get onto your favorites, etc. In in a few moments. Um, Strogba didn't make it with the Montreal team. Did I did I hear that right? He didn't travel. He's had some he's had some issues lately. Yeah, they they. I mean, I think everyone sort of heard the news of what happened uh, a few weeks ago. He. Um, he basically was told he wasn't going to be in the starting eleven, and decided, right, that's it. I'm not. I'm not playing. I'm not playing in this game, um, which understandably uh, caused a little trouble. They kind of met with him, reportedly resolved the, the differences, but then he was left out of the the squad uh, in in their final game of the regular season. Is he I playing think, tonight? Do you have any I, idea? I, I don't think he's going to be. No, I don't think he's in the squad. Is that um, going to scupper their chances, or will they be okay? No. With so Adam? funny. Funnily enough, they they Montreal have shown despite Drogba's done reasonably well he scores his goals but as a team as a unit they've been better when he definitely when he doesn't start and the, <laughs> the numbers I think they win about 50% of the games where, when, when he doesn't start and that drops to somewhere around 10% when he when he does okay like, what about Seattle uh, tonight they, they don't have Dempsey yeah, so so it's going to be a huge problem sure Se Seattle's uh, it's a really interesting story I mean they had a uh, a terrible start to the season. Obafemi Martins, who was there, got up and left to China before the season. Sorry, Obafemi Martins was playing for them. Jamie yeah. Max. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, got up and left to 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 China before the season began. Um, they they had a really poor start start to the season. They uh, they fired their manager Siggy Schmidt, who'd been there forever. I think since the since the club had been in MLS actually, um, and. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, brought in his assistant. Clint Dempsey was ruled out w- with an irregular heart condition, and um, a- and they were they were ten points out of the playoff spot, and they've turned it around and kind of stormed into the playoffs. They signed um, Nicolas Lodero, yeah. who, who, oh, yeah. who you know the the Uruguayan who was mm-hmm. at Ajax for a bit, um, and just completely turned things around. I, I think he's, they, they he's could such be such a lovely player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Clint just concentrating on his rap career now? No, no, it's, it's he genuinely he has a, a irregular heart condition of some sort, which um, I think is threatening his career, which is a bit sad. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, to be fair, not to be too uh, crappy about this, but age was beginning to threaten his career as well. Sure. I mean, he's sure. he's definitely within the last couple of years, I would say. So if he is in any way in danger, I think he'll probably be do the smart thing and bring yeah. it up. Agreed. Agreed. Um, your favorites for the competition, Danny? My favorites? Um, or let's say, who will make it to the MLS Cup final and who would you like to make it? Because that could be a difference. Who, who will make it and who would I like to make it? Okay. There's I'd like gonna, to see Dallas up there because I want them to win the, 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 I want them to win the treble. There's going to be, my brother's a Dallas fan for reasons that aren't quite clear to me. Um, <laughs> what? Aren't you... Yeah, yeah, I'm from New York. You're from New York, but that's, that's your brother is your brother is also from he, New York. I'll tell you why he's a, he's also from New York. He's not from Texas. Okay, I'll tell you why he's a Dallas fan, and I, this is why it'll answer the other question as well. Uh, they, they've been over the last couple of years a fantastic team to watch. Just really, really exciting. They've done things the right way. They've brought young players through 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 the academy. Great manager, also. Um, great manager. Yeah. Uh, really play an exciting brand of football. Uh, and for that reason, I'd love to see them in the final, winning the West and in the final. I don't think they'll manage it. Um, I think Colorado, who who have been a huge surprise this year, they finished last in the Western Conference last season, um, but have just been very strong. They've brought in some experienced veteran players. Tim Howard is, is playing in Colorado. Is Kevin um, Doyle on that team? Yes, also. Yeah. He scored a great diving header a couple of weeks ago. He, he, he did, yeah. He's yeah. still there, still scoring goals. Um, and Colorado have been very, very difficult to play against this year. And I think all that, all that experience and the, how organized they are, and then also the fact that they play in, uh, you know, at altitude near oh, Denver, yeah. very, very difficult place to play, especially as the weather gets cold. Um, They're well, like the the Bolivia of MLS, exactly. Um, will will work and all that stuff will work in their favor, and I think they'll just edge Dallas um, a, a, and make it to the final. What about on East? The, on the Eastern side, um, you've two two really good teams in New York Red Bulls and New York City FC. Um, the the two New York sides, New York Red Bulls had a a, desi- a historically bad actually start to the season. Um, they got uh, thumped seven 0 right? After well, no, this is that was in the in the derby. Oh, okay. uh, but 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 yeah, um, New York Red Bulls had a terrible start to the season after after looking so good last year, um, but they've absolutely stormed back. I mean, they haven't lost since July, gone sixteenth uh, games, sixteen games unbeaten um, to to top the Eastern Conference, and I think they're basically a, a team without flaws. I mean, they they play also a great brand of football, very high up the pitch, lots of pressing, uh, some some very exciting players to watch. I think they're both the team I'd most like to see in the final and the team that's most likely to, to get to the final. Name name the team that's going to win it. Red Bulls. Okay, Matt, did you want to name a winner? Putting you on the spot right here. Uh, I'll just name the team that I would like to see win. Okay, that'll do. DC United. 
<laughs> Surprisingly. I, w- I would like to see Toronto winning, but it's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Because of Jovinko. He has been absolutely brilliant. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Danny, Andre, Matt, Nick and our producer Damien. If you've anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OneFootball. Thanks for listening.